it has been a long journey here today. Time travel, you know, it's very difficult these days, but it is a joy for me to be here with you. And uh, let me introduce myself. I am Hadassah, the wife of Isaiah, the prophet to Judah. Your teacher asked if I would come and tell a little bit of my story so that you would better understand what you are studying from the writings of my husband. So I am here to share with you three aspects of my life. I would like to talk to you about our family, our faith, and our freedom. So our family, yeah, it's probably not that much different than yours. Ah, we are a blended family. You maybe didn't know that. I'm the second wife to Isaiah. Yeah, uh, his first wife died after his son, Shear Jaseb, was born. Oh, what a wonderful little boy. I call him Jash for short. I fell in love with that little boy. And his daddy saw how much I loved him. And he knew I would be a good mama for his son. And later, I fell in love with him too. And so, I married Isaiah. He is a good man. He is a fine man. He has a passion for Yahweh, unlike any man I have seen. This is what he lives to do. He lives to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make known his deeds among the nations, to proclaim that his name is exalted. It is this passion that he has that captured my heart and led me to marry him. So marriage, what do I know about that? Well, <laughs> I can tell you, Yahweh intended marriage to make you holy, not happy. That's <laughs> the way it is. It's funny to me, you see, that some people call me the prophetess. I am no prophet. That is Isaiah, my husband. But I hear this is a custom much like one that you have. I hear that when you marry, you become Mrs. Larry Smith or Mrs. Bob Thompson, but really you are Laura or you are Michelle. Yeah, uh, that is how it is with us. Although often we take on the occupation of our husband, we can become known for what it is that he does, because what he does is who he is. I think this goes back really to what Moses wrote in the Pentateuch. You could find it in the book of Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he will cling to his wife, or cleave to her, and the two will become one flesh. Oh, this one flesh thing is very interesting, I'll tell you that. But as a Hebrew wife, I can't speak for him, but I can tell you two things that I'm responsible for. I'm responsible to submit to my husband. Yeah, the husband, he is the head. Oh, but that is part of the consequence of our dear mother Eve. We can blame that on her. And you know, when God spoke to her after the sin, then he said to her, Ah, your desire it will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Ah, now here in Judah, some men, they take this a little bit too far. They take liberty with this command, and they try to control their wives. They forget that their job is twofold, also to love and to lead the woman. But not so with Isaiah. Isaiah loves me in such a way that I want to follow him. And that leads me to my second job, which is to be his helper. Ah, this too is sometimes very hard. Isaiah says he wants my help, that he is a man in need of grace, just like me. Imagine that, me, 
giving advice and help to the prophet, the great prophet Isaiah. Ah, he says he needs my insight. Imagine that. I have actually heard that you have a movie in your day that speaks to this a little bit. It's in this household where these women get together and they are discussing this topic and they say, oh yeah, the husband, he's the head. But the wife, she is the neck and she turned the head this way and that way. I like that. I like that a lot. I really don't know that that's true and I'm not sure that's what God intended, but I do know that I know Isaiah in a way no one else knows him because we are one flesh. So sometimes I am the only one that can get through to him. So even when it is difficult, I am learning to find my voice and speak to the great prophet Isaiah. And I want to tell you about my children, our children. Well, our children, you see, they're a gift that is given to us by God um, for us to steward. But they are not our own. They're his. I forget this sometimes. This is also hard for me. I love the sons that God has given us. Maybe sometimes too much. I had this wonderful family name picked out for our son. Yeah, Hash. Our son Hash, what a name. But Isaiah says that he and our sons are to be signs for the nation. And so they must bear the name that God gives them. Ah, what about the family name? He says, this is a family name. And I guess he's right about that. So, okay, I will go with that. Because you see, names, they're very important in my culture. And they mean something. And I want to tell you what the names of our sons mean. The firstborn. I told you, he is not my son, but he is my son now. But I did not give birth to him. His name is Shear Jasib. I told you, I call him Jash for short. He is Isaiah's son from his first wife. And his name means a remnant will return. You see, this is a name to give hope to our people. A hope that they don't even think they need right now. And they don't. They're very fat and happy. But it will remind us, I am certain, when the time comes of God's discipline, they will remember this son's name. And then there's my second son. It's a mouthful, I'll tell you for sure. Meher Shalahashba. Yeah, well, it means the spoil speedeth and the prey hasteth. His name is a warning. It stands again to our people to warn them of what is to come. This is the thing Isaiah has been saying over and over. But I just wish our people would heed that word. They have not yet. And that leads me to a third son, not ours, but it is a son that was given, Emmanuel, God with us. This was a sign for the king, King Ahaz. But I have heard in later days another son comes. You see, a little boy was born, and his name was Emmanuel in the day of Ahaz. But much later, nearly 2,000 years later, God will send another Emmanuel, not to Judah, but to all the nations. He will send the promised Messiah. This Emmanuel will bring light to the darkness. This Emmanuel will have a name that means wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and he will reign forever and ever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can you imagine 
What amazing words. I think they should put those to song for all time. That's what I think. Well, so this Emmanuel, he also will have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. He will have counsel and might. That's what we're looking for, you see, might. We value that. But his might will be a judgment that is given not by what his eyes sees, not by what his ears hear, but from his Father alone, and he will deliver us. He will be a deliverer, delivering you and me forever. That is an amazing thing to me because you live way after me. I'm such an old lady. And so that just tells me that sons and daughters, they are a gift from the Lord. Do not forget this. It is written in Psalm, Lo, sons are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Great gift. Maybe you've heard of our forefather, Abraham. He only had one son. Well, he had another, but one that we will speak of. He had one son that he loved more than his life. Yes, but God asked him to offer up this son as a sacrifice. He couldn't believe that God would ask him to do anything like this. But he trusted that God had a plan, and God did. He provided the lamb, just like he would do 2,000 years later in another Emmanuel. He provided the lamb. The Messiah. And so my question for you ladies is what about your sons and daughters? And maybe you sit here and you say, I'm not even married. I'm married. I have no children. So I'm, you're not speaking to me. Oh, you are a daughter in this room. So what of the sons and daughters of this generation? Do you see them as gifts? Do you see them as yours? Or do you see them as God's? I hope you learn from me that God has given them to you as a gift, but only for a time. You will be wise to know that you can't control them. If anything, your job is to release them to the Father so that he can help them to be a sign to their generation, just like my sons to my generation, just as God intended, that they would speak by the way they live their life. This would be good and pleasing to the Father. This is what he says in later days. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. It's gone kaputz to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and not put it under a bushel, but they put it on a stand, and it will give light to all in the house. So let your light shine and that of your sons and daughters so that men may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And that leads to our faith. And our faith leads us to live radical lives. And that's exactly what Isaiah does. I hear you've heard about some of the radical things that he has done. Yes, he's the king's counselor, but the king often doesn't listen to him. Because of the many outlandish things that Isaiah says, as I walk through the market, the women, they cluck at me. Hmm? Yeah, there she goes, Hadassah, Isaiah's wife, that idiot. That is what they say. And even my family wishes that Isaiah would back down a little, not be so pushy, not say things in such a bold and brash way at times. But Isaiah... 
he can do no less because he knows that God has asked him to do so. You see, he knows God. And this is what he knows about God. Three things. Number one, that God loves us and wants a relationship with us. He chose us, the Jewish people, out of all the people of the earth, for heaven's sake, we are so special. This is what he said to our father Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then we know that God also loves, delights to do things that are impossible. That everyone says, impossible, can't be done. God loves that. When King Ahaz was so frightened by Syria and Ephraim, God whistled for the fly and the bee. <whistles> Can you imagine? Can you believe that is what he called the nations, the great and mighty nations of Egypt and Assyria? The whistle? Whistling for the bee? Are you kidding me? I cannot believe it. But you see, with God, nothing is impossible. He considers mighty empires as insects in the palm of his hand. So for it is written, the king's heart, it is like a stream in the hand of the Lord. That's what he thinks of it. If only our king would have been directed like this stream of the Lord. He wasn't. And so that leads me to the third thing, that God disciplines those that he loves. That is just like a good mama or a daddy, is it not? This is what he had to do with us. And Isaiah saw it coming. He tried to tell us over and over again. He repeatedly warned the kings, but none would listen. Isaiah actually told King Ahaz that it would be the Lord himself who would bring upon him and his people destruction like had not been seen in many years. He said that Yahweh would bring mighty waters and rivers flooding, flooding like a river that would come as discipline. And so he did with Assyria. He said that the Lord even would cut Israel's head and tail off, palm branch and weed, reed all in one day. And so I hear he did. Well, faith, it's a funny thing. It leads you to lead a radical life. And I have heard stories of your little community of faith here leading radical lives. Yes, I have heard it said that many among you are adopting children not from your own people, not even from your own land, but from distant lands, from another continent. Who has heard of such a thing? These aren't even your people. And yet, you know that God loves them and has a plan for them, and you have responded, showing the nations around that you are his provision for these little babies. That is a wonderful thing. And I have also heard that some of you uh, are reaching out to the poor and needy among you. I've heard that you offer rooms in your homes, meals at your tables, jobs in your businesses to those who could not do for themselves. This is exactly as Yahweh intended because it allows his glory to shine among all the nations. And that really leads me to ask you, lady, are you living a life that is radical for the Lord? What are you doing in your home that is radical? If not, pray and ask God that he would open your heart and give you an opportunity to do so, to do something radical, or at least that people around you would call radical. You know, people may call you crazy, but God won't, and he's the only one that matters.
This is what is written. But the Lord of hosts, him alone you should regard as holy. Let him be your fear and your dread. And that takes us to our freedom, our last thing. Our freedom should never be taken for granted. It is a precious thing. My people have a long and somewhat checkered history. We've been free and we've been slaves. You see, after Joseph fled to Egypt, well, he didn't really flee, he was taken, <laughs> but after Joseph ended up in Egypt, he was really sent ahead by God to save our people there. And that he did. He saved our people, and then we flourished, and it caused the pharaohs to become fearful and dread us. And so they made us slaves. It was horrible. And after 400 years, we cried to God Please, God, free us from this horror. And he did. He heard our voice. And he raised up a deliverer. And I think you've read of him. His name was Moses. And he did exactly what God asked him to do. Now, you would think we would learn from this. <laughs> you would think we would never do anything like that again to fall into that trap. Ah, but here we are again, going around and around and around. Yes, Isaiah is telling us that captivity awaits us if we will not listen and change our course. So it seems we are destined to live a cycle. I think this is what the cycle would look like, and you might relate to it too. It is called the cycle of sin. So there are people who live um, in peace and in a time of freedom. And many times that peace and that freedom breeds a wonderful sense of security and people rise up and begin to say, look at us, how great we are. We are a great and mighty nation. And you see, that is pride, ladies, because we are nothing. If we only could keep remembering this, that we are nothing. But sometimes we think we're something. And when we think, think we're something, that pride is a sin. And sin, you see, leads us to bondage. And bondage leads us to cry out to God for a deliverer, for forgiveness. And that forgiveness leads us to a deliverer. And the deliverer comes to conquer the enemy, sometimes the one within. Sin is confessed and restoration happens and peace comes back again. Ah, alas. But for many of us, it is a cycle and it goes on again in another situation in another time. I cannot believe it, but I have heard here, so many years after my time, you have the same struggle. Huh? I can't believe it. Well, it is hard to believe that some things never change, but it is worth examining. And so I ask you to look at the comparison between freedom and bondage. What do we learn? Well, freedom releases you, set you free. That's what freedom is. And bondage controls you. You are controlled sometimes by another or something else. Your freedom, it gives you peace, while bondage makes you anxious, fearful, uh, Frightened, just like we read here about Ahaz and the people. They shook with fear. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, I can imagine it because I felt it. Freedom, though, what does it do? It provides you with strength to rise up and stand. And bondage, however, it makes you weak. Freedom makes you bold. Bondage makes you a coward. Yes, there's many types of bondage. Perhaps you've heard the story of our great King David before me. Yes, he was a great king. He was a man, it is written, after God's own heart. And yet at the height of his power, 
he made a very bad decision. In his security and peace and might, he chose to sleep with another man's wife. And that led him to a murder to cover up the actions that he had done. He was king of the land, and yet he became a prisoner of his own making because of his own sin. Listen to the words that he has written so none of us would forget the consequence of sin and what it does to you. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, O God, was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever or heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of all my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you at a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters. Isn't that interesting? Again, flood of great waters. What a picture. They will not reach him, for you, God, are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You see, it wasn't an enemy without David that conquered him. It was the enemy within that nearly killed him. He lived it and felt it in every part of his body. So I ask you today, what about you? As you sit here, ladies, maybe you live in a free land among you, but I know that in no way makes you free women today. You may be a spiritual prisoner sitting here entangled by your own sin. Maybe you're the only one who knows what it is exactly that you have done. Ah, but that is a lie straight from Satan himself, who probably was the one that enticed you or was behind the enticing in the first place. But more importantly, ladies, God knows. And he is holding forgiveness out for you, just like he did for my great King David. Cry out to him for mercy. He wants to set you free. He wants you to come back into relationship with him. So do not wait another moment. Do not leave this room today. But join my husband Isaiah as he sang these words over our people. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and did comfort me. It is perfect that we began with these words from Patrick and we should end with them. Behold, God is my strength and my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. I pray. He is yours as well. Let us pray. Father, I don't know where these women are. I don't know where they've been, but you do. And so I pray right now for them that you would be their great deliverer, that they would run to their Abba Father, and that they would tell you what they have done, and that their spirit might be set free forever, that they might come to Yeshua, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, and be set free. Let us be women today who leave here, um, holding our children lightly, enabling them with everything we have to be a sign of life for this generation. Let us be women today who leave here 
wanting to live lives that are radical in our communities. And let us leave here today confessing the sin that so easily entangles us. I give these sisters to you now in your precious and holy name, Yahweh, we pray. Amen.